Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to this week's Squiggly Careers podcast. I am Helen, and today I am joined by my co-host Sarah. Hi, everyone. And over the last few weeks, we've actually been flying solo, so we've not done a joint I podcast know. for a while. I've, I've missed you, and Aww. I've been on holiday. It feels like a while. <laughs> you're, like, you're like you're not you're We're, like not bothered at all. It's like, were we on a break? Were we not on a break? Who knows? Sort of a break. Um, but um, the last couple of episodes where we've been flying solo, um, the first one that I did was episode ninety-six, and that was with LinkedIn. And we invited Rachel Glynn from LinkedIn to show lots of different tips with us about how you can really maximise the potential of LinkedIn for your career. So if you don't like Sarah and don't want to listen to her, then just listen to me on episode 96. <laughs> and if you don't like oh, me you and you just want a bit more Sarah, at night. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell, yeah. Um, yeah, episode 97, which is the one that Sarah did last week, was talking about emotions at work. So Sarah, do you want to say a little bit more about that in case people haven't listened to it? Yeah, so that was me interviewing a lady called Molly Duffy-West. And Molly is the co-author of a book called No Hard Feelings. And Liz and Molly also have a brilliant Instagram account, uh, which I highly recommend following. They're lovely illustrations, very knowing, insightful and funny. So I always enjoy seeing those. And she talks about some of the new rules of work that they propose around how do we use emotions positively and constructively at work? We kind of explore two or three of the new rules of work from the book in a bit more detail in our conversation. Things like um, the fact that your feelings are not always facts, that it's useful to care less about your work at times. Mm. Uh, and that one really stuck with me because that is counterintuitive for me because I think, oh, I really care about my work and that it's a big part of who I am. And it's great that I'm really passionate. But actually what she's challenging and what their kind of research shows is there is a point where it's really important to do other things, to have other interests, hobbies, to productively switch off, to actually genuinely switch off. So not to just be on holiday and still do a little bit of work, but actually to kind of fully detox. Because the reason ultimately is that if actually you do care about your work, you should do those things because it will make your work better. So I found that a very compelling argument to kind of care less because ultimately it will make your work better and, and Sarah I even forced the uh, yeah, a detox on me last week when I, I was on holiday so she's definitely detox. taken taken some you were value so from resistant that. to it though oh, it's were, because you, were... you messaged me a hundred times while I was on holiday <laughs> I was like a joint withdrawal symptoms I think <laughs> how did you find it you did 48 hours in the end yeah I did, well I didn't really enjoy it <laughs> my oh. husband said 
partly because like I, I love what we do. Also, I could still see some of the things coming uh... in and I wasn't replying to them. And my husband said to me over dinner, I was like, oh, Gareth, this thing's happening. I really want to reply, but I'm on a digital detox and I can't. And he was like, you're not on a digital detox. You're on a digital torture mission where you're looking at stuff and you can't reply. <laughs> yeah. like, yes, I think you, you might have right. missed the point a little bit. Yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe. I, I, maybe I was like halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to try and do it. I'm going on holiday in a few weeks' time, and I think I'm going to try and do it, like delete some of the apps. To your point, I think I'll have to take away the temptation because as soon as you look at something, it's quite hard for it not to kind of plant a seed in your mind, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, That that's probably my learning from doing that. But anyway, today is not about digital detoxing, as useful mm-hmm. as a thing as it is to kind of test yourself with. It's actually going to be all about courageous conversations. But before we talk a little bit more about that, we just wanted to say, if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for sticking with us. This is episode 98 of the Squiggly careers podcast we are rapidly approaching 100 episodes um we're excited to us hopefully it's exciting to you if you are a regular listener <laughs> no one else cares <laughs> no one else cares but it does represent about 70 hours of uh, squiggly career tips wow. that we've shared over the last 18 months maybe yeah of us talking about lovely career stuff um, and if you are one of the people that has left us a review, if you're a regular listener, less than a review, thank you so much. They make such a difference to helping us to reach new people and so that we can help them with their squiggly careers. And if you like the podcast, but you haven't managed to leave a review yet, please do take a few minutes to do it. As I said, it's really helpful. We really appreciate it. And it makes us so happy. Sometimes it's a bit tricky to get feedback when it's Sarah and I at 10 o'clock at night talking about career stuff. <laughs> and so those reviews are one way in which we find out that what we do is helping people so thank you if you could take the time that would be brilliant and back to today then so we asked our instagram community where we're at amazing if on instagram if you want to follow us we asked them to vote on a couple of different podcast topics and they chose the theme which is this week's podcast which is about courageous conversations and it's actually something that we find comes up quite a lot when the work that we do with organizations one of the things that we talk about is this principle called psychological safety which is um, a lot of work that Amy Edmondson has done. And one of the principles of teams that have high levels of psychological safety and are therefore high performing teams is that they've got the ability to have tough conversations. And when we do different research with teams and companies about that, what we often find is that of all the different elements that help make teams have psychological safety, the one that lots of businesses and teams struggle with is this ability to have tough or courageous conversations. So it feels like a topic that is relevant for individuals because so many people voted for it on our Instagram community. But we also know from our experience that it's something that's particularly relevant for teams and organisations. And over the next 30 minutes of the podcast, what we're going to do is talk a little bit around what actually is a courageous conversation. It's kind of useful to start with that. Why maybe it's difficult for people? What's some of the theory behind why it feels hard? And what we really want to focus on is some tips, tried and tested tips, and we'll share some of our experiences as well that we think you can put in place and will help you to make take practical action so you can have some more courageous conversations at work. Okay, so if we think about what a courageous conversation is, Nancy Schreiber, who is a business psychologist, she talks about it as a conversation where there's high stakes, emotionally charged about issues that matter, and involving the perspectives of more than one person. 
And she even goes on to suggest it's perhaps even a tri a triage tactic to improve an issue before it becomes catastrophic. <laughs> now, when I read that, I thought that sounds really dramatic. But if we think about all of our squiggly careers, I always feel like at any one point in time, we are all somewhere on a spectrum between surviving and thriving <laughs> at work. That's true, very true. And where we are in that spectrum probably changes every day and every week, but... I was thinking actually one of the ways to help um, you to have positive momentum in the right direction and to spend as much of your time thriving as possible is your ability to have courageous conversations. Because I was thinking this is the difference between standing up for what you believe in versus being frustrated or kind of having been more of a victim. It's the difference between being brave enough to do something even if it's risky versus doing the safe thing, taking the safe choice, being in your comfort zone. I always feel like a courageous conversation is probably like doing the right thing versus the easy thing. And we can probably all think of examples of where we maybe know that the right thing is over there, but it just feels too difficult, too tricky. We perhaps don't know how to address it or what to do, or we maybe don't feel like we've got the right relationships or in the right culture. So we end up doing the kind of thing that feels easier, but often that doesn't feel good. I was mm. thinking about some of the times when I've avoided or not had these courageous conversations. It's sort of easier in the moment. So in the short term, I wonder whether it's kind of the easier option. But actually, I feel that in the medium term, it's often something that doesn't go away. So I think a courageous conversation helps you to address something that matters, probably something that needs to change or something that you feel is not right, which is why it makes it a more difficult conversation than just your kind of average chat. And back to that point that kind of Nancy Schreiber was talking about, you probably have some anticipation of not everybody is going to agree with your point of view, that perhaps is going to be different perspectives, or perhaps it's something that just you kind of don't know. There's a lot of unknown, perhaps there's a lot of ambiguity. And we see that a lot in squiggly careers. That's one of the characteristics is there's just a lot of unknown. So again, that feels more courageous because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And there's a lady called Susan Scott, who's written a book called Fierce Conversations, which I think is a brilliant title. I really like it. And she says, like it or not, you build influence and make your look one conversation at a time. And I think that really resonated with me as a statement of, this is not about one massive courageous conversation that you're going to have once a year or twice a year. I think this is about your ability and your capability to have lots of different sorts of courageous conversations. And then when you put all those things together, that's how you'll build your influence and your role in your organisation. That's how you'll make the right things happen for you in the kind of short, medium and long term. But I feel back to my point, this is probably about knowing that sometimes the short-term stuff is harder, but it will pay off in the medium term. Yeah, and I see it on a spectrum, actually, where you have, like, at the beginning, Sarah's thinking, of course, you see it on a spectrum, Helen, because you see everything as <laughs> spectrums and matrixes. But almost at the beginning of it, you might have a safe conversation, and then I think the next bit up from it is a difficult conversation, and then I think the next bit up from that is a courageous conversation. Mm, nice. I think it's the complexity of 
the challenge and the potential risk, the number of perspectives that make it courageous. But I think that's where you can have the most significant impact on um, your environment, the work that you do, and ultimately your career. And we have actually covered difficult conversations before. So think of this as more like a difficult conversation being like a micro moment. It's of the moment. It might be one-to-one and maybe a series of these things might build up to a courageous conversation. So if you feel like you've got a small, personal, challenging conversation coming up, maybe also listen to episode 20 of the podcast, which is when we cover difficult conversations. But I think it's an important distinction. This courageous thing is where... Sarah talked earlier about there's something right that you almost want to be brave enough to talk about doing the right thing versus doing the easy thing. And I think that's the territory of courageous conversations that we're talking about tonight. And I think it's important to say that one person's courageous conversation is probably different to another. And it's probably quite context driven. It depends on where you are in your career, where you are in your organisation. So some of the examples that maybe we'll give in a minute of our courageous conversations, you might be listening and thinking, oh, for me, that wouldn't constitute a courageous conversation. I feel like maybe for me, that's a comfortable conversation or just a difficult conversation. If you're thinking about this for your teams, knowing that what this looks and feels like for everyone will be different, partly based on their own kind of personal challenges and perspectives, but partly based on the environment they find themselves in. But I do think probably one of the touchstones almost of a courageous conversation, as Helen was starting to kind of hint at there, is often these conversations are bigger than just you. I think it's uh, difficult conversations might be more about you and maybe your role and your team. Courageous conversations start to get you into more of a territory of something that is bigger, whether that's just bigger than you or just bigger than your team, or it could even be bigger than your organisation or bigger than your industry. But when I was starting to think about our examples and looking at some of the hints and tips that you start to see, this is often where you don't have all of the answer, you don't have sol- can't solve everything for yourself, but you're still prepared to give some of it a go or to kind of start that conversation. Totally agree. So should we talk about our examples of some courageous conversations that we think we've had and then go on to the five top tips? Yeah, good plan. Should I go first? Go on then. So I was thinking, you know, with the, um, the definition of kind of these multiple perspectives and there's some element of risk. And I was thinking, OK, what's the best the best example of the one that really springs to mind? And I thought about when I was um, when I was at Virgin and I was head of a business called Virgin Insight. And I've probably been in the role for about 12 months you know, I could see all the numbers for that business. I could see the cost of the business. I could see the projected revenue. And I had tried a few times to think about how to make all that add up to positive numbers. And I couldn't quite get there (laughs) when I knew what that business was trying to achieve. And I was looking at the financials and it couldn't quite work. And myself and kind of a couple of other people were looking at different options. And there was basically this pivotal moment for me where I had to have a courageous conversation with a gentleman called Joss Bayliss, who is the chief executive of Virgin globally. And he happened to be in the building that we worked in, the battleship building on a particular night. And I thought I need to go and speak to Josh and say that I think we need to do something quite different with this business and that I've got an idea and that I want to talk to him. And you know, you might be thinking, oh, it's a really logical thing, Helen, but it felt courageous to me because you know, there were people's jobs on the line for this. There was a potentially my job, the people that worked for me, the future of this business. I was going to create a lot of uncertainty if actually what I was recommending was implemented. But I ultimately thought it would create more rewarding jobs and a better business. So there was an element of 
courage in that, but that was what I thought was doing the right thing. But also, you know, Josh was considerably more senior than me and an awful lot smarter. And I thought <laughs> I probably didn't feel prepared enough to have the conversation because I didn't have a fully detailed solution. And if he'd asked me lots of questions, I think I'm not sure I would have been prepared by it. So I think there was some courage in starting the conversation but not having all the answers and also the implications for the conversation and so it felt really courageous and the shortcut to what happened with that story was Josh was totally supportive he basically said yeah yeah sure I'd like to talk about it like talk to all your ideas get a meeting with me and we'll go from there and that led to that business changing um, and it becoming a kind of different business and some people moving on but some people having more developed and more rewarding roles and so actually it was ultimately the right thing to do and a better outcome but it definitely felt courageous at the time. And I think I can probably take some confidence from it now in knowing that I was able to do that, even though I didn't have all the facts and it wasn't all clear and it wasn't all nice and planned, which I would probably like ultimately. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, isn't it? When you reflect back on them, you probably feel like you can post-rationalise and make them sound very logical and sensible. And you sort of think, oh, well, why was that so courageous? But it's because of all the multiple factors all happening simultaneously, I think. Mm. Um, And often our reaction to something that feels hard is to prepare more, is to try and have all of the answers. And that's often where the courage comes in, is to think, okay, well, that's not realistic in this situation. That isn't the right answer. The courage comes from, I think in your example, is actually just going, I'm going to have the conversation now. Mm. You know, I'm not going to, you could have easily delayed it for like, and thought I'm going to wait for two months or three months or put together a big presentation or that, you know, really put lots of barriers in the way of getting started. And I think often courage comes from just going, okay, it is about just starting. Um, yeah, I think the, um, and I was looking at some of the research around what makes a great courageous conversation. It almost said what doesn't make a great courageous conversation <laughs> is avoidance, which is yes. sort of like the default where people are, they know there's something they want to have a conversation about, but they're not able to do it. So you create whatever avoidance strategies, like the preparing or the talking to somebody else or whatever it is, just to not do the thing that you think you should be doing right now. What about you? Well, my example is when I was working at Sainsbury's, I asked to work part-time, which sounds like a really simple and straightforward request now. But to put this in context, this was eight years ago, which made me feel old when I figured that out. And at that time, there were very few examples of people working part-time at Sainsbury's who hadn't got children. So most people who worked part-time, the role models and the examples I saw and I knew it was, oh, you know, I work part-time because I'm I'm spending more time with my kids or doing drop-off or pick-up for nursery, all things I now have to do. But I wanted to work part-time so I could spend time on Amazing If. And that felt courageous in its own right. And there was nothing around me that I could look at to compare and understand how that conversation might go. And simultaneously, I was being promoted into a job at Sainsbury's. So that, if anything, I felt made it worse. So... I was still very committed to Sainsbury's. I love my job there. But at the same time, I felt like it was a bit of a paradox. I was saying to them, oh, yes, but I'd like to be here a little bit less. Yeah. But I think part of the reason that helped me, one of the things that helped me to have that conversation was that there was something bigger than just me. Yes, that I was, you know, selfishly, it was something I wanted to do. But I think I believed in flexibility for everyone. I believed that that was the way that the kind of world of work was going around people working in a way that worked for them and combining interests, I could start to see that that was something that 
people were going to want to do. Even the word side project or side hustle at that time were just not in our vocabulary, which now feels like, you know, lots of people listening to this podcast all read lots of articles and those kind of things. Even volunteering was quite unusual. Some big companies had like big volunteering programs. So I felt like I was doing something extraordinary or very much out of the ordinary of which there'd been no precedent and I felt like I was asking for a lot you know I think a lot of the courage for me came from I felt like it was like a layered request (laughs) and I knew (laughs) that if actually they were going to say yes to me that that would then also set an example for people elsewhere and there's always that kind of worry about going often with flexibility one of the things that people can get concerned about is this thing of like opening up the floodgates and so I was thinking even if maybe they want to support me, will they be worried about then what might happen in the rest of Sainsbury's? And again, similar to you, I do think part of that conversation, the reason that it was easier was the person I was working for almost encouraged the courage out of me. So yes, actually that happened with mine. My manager encouraged yeah. me to have that conversation. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, and I think there are probably some good examples of when I have been courageous and it's failed. And that's partly to do with you, definitely. And there's partly some external factors I think can influence that. But also I do think it's how recipient a person is to hearing that. Maybe they're hearing something that they'd either not considered before. Like my boss is probably going, she should be quite happy that I've promoted her. (laughs) And instead she's coming in and having a very different type of conversation. I think it's a lot to her credit how she responded to that. And if you're listening to this now as somebody who leads a team and you spot that somebody is having their equivalent of a courageous conversation with you, giving them the opportunity to being really well listened to, having empathy, it doesn't mean you have necessarily have to say yes, I think is really critical because I think for probably for both of us, those early courageous conversations, for me certainly, gave me confidence to have other ones, some of which have not worked. But I felt okay because I've had some evidence that they do work some of the time and it gives you the ability to kind of bounce back and that resilience, which I do think Mm. if you're in the squiggly career, we're probably all going to be having more courageous conversations. I think it's really natural and important that we all kind of know that some of them are going to just work out better than others. And that's not necessarily a reflection on you or that you shouldn't have had the conversation. It's there will be lots of things that will influence whether or not that outcome is going to be what you'd maybe hoped. And so there are probably a couple of themes there in um, our stories that are worth just kind of summarising. I think the first one is about just to be aware of your avoidance tactics that you might be putting in place. (laughs) The second one is about attaching yourself to the bigger picture. So we talked about the benefit of being bigger than you. And the third one is to seek out people who can support your courage, but also to be one of those people yourself for other people that might be in your team. I think it makes a big difference in well, it has definitely done for Sarah and I and as being able to have the courage to take some of the steps that we've just talked about. Um, yeah, I was just starting to think about avoidance tactics um, <laughs> and I was thinking. Let's like, not give people it, tips on those. No, I was just thinking, what what are my avoidance tactics? Because I think we all have them. Um, And I think mine is probably different, will definitely be different to yours, is, you know, you talked about having quite an ad hoc conversation with Josh because you just saw him there and you thought, do you know what, I'm going to have the chat. One of my avoidance tactics is to wait for like an official meeting. It's got to be exactly at the right moment, at the right time of day even. And then, you know, if somebody like cancels it and then might say, oh, do you want like a quick cup of tea and just like a chat over 10 minutes? I'd always be like, oh no, you know, I'm not prepared or 
I think mm. because I'm probably quite strategic and structured in the way that I think things through, the idea of a more sort of off the cuff, let's just have a chat type of conversation, I definitely find harder. And so I would use that as an avoidance and, and almost like try and create the scenario where everything was as perfect as it could be. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I've noticed that that sometimes has definitely held me back from having those courageous conversations. You know, like the longer you avoid it, the harder it becomes, yeah, I think, definitely. for me. I was thinking mine is probably I like to make it look pretty is in I like to like, put my you know this like, I like to put my ideas down and have it constructed and presentable very typically in PowerPoint and I was also thinking that those two avoidance tactics it's probably a nightmare if you and I would ever want to have a courageous Ooh, conversation yeah. with each other we'd be avo- You'll make it avoiding pretty it and I just will wait until we have a very formal one-to-one together <laughs> so basically in 2021 I'll have a great presentation and we'll have an official meeting <laughs> <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So shall we share some of our top tips, not on avoidance, but on actually how you go about having a courageous conversation? Shall I go first? Go for it. So the first thing is, I feel that's a bit of a hardcore one. I'm not sure how motivating it is. But the first tip is to not underestimate the challenge of the conversation. So there's some research which talks about um, it's a principle called realistic optimism. And it's in a Harvard Business Review article that we will link and put on the website on amazingif.com if you want to go into it more deeply. But the principle behind realistic optimism is that when people are setting out to do difficult personally meaningful things like courageous conversations they are more likely to follow 
the kind of intention to have that conversation through if they expect it to be challenging. So if I think oh, I'm going to have a courageous conversation with Josh or Sarah and it's going to be fine and it's going to be easy, I don't need to worry about it, you're actually less likely to follow through the desire to have the conversation than if I think, okay, I've got to have a conversation with Sarah. I know it's going to be difficult, but I'm really committed to doing it. So I'm just going to take some action. So from the outset, recognise that this might be tough for you. And I think this is where you can attach yourself to the bigger picture, maybe to say, I acknowledge this is going to be tough, it's a difficult thing, but the reason that I'm doing it is. So perhaps if you pair those two things together, then you can make realistic optimism work for you. And actually, I do wonder if there's also a nuance, and it's a language point, but I think it's probably an important one. When we're talking about this, we're talking about courageous conversations, plural, and often I think people set their expectation up of, oh, I'm having this courageous conversation. I must solve everything in one conversation. Yeah, and actually, just by the nature of it being a courageous conversation, the likelihood is if there are different points of view and it's going to be challenging, it's probably quite rare that you solve that in one conversation. So I, I think also seeing these as a series of conversations about something which is going to take courage from you is probably just a better way of framing it for yourself because you are probably taking on something that is quite big and complex and you might have given it quite a lot of thought but the first time you talk to other people about it it might be the first time they've had the opportunity to kind of mull that thing over so in Helen's example at Virgin you know her example wasn't that Josh just said yes that's a great idea there and then and that was it they did it he actually said okay I'm finding that interesting I'm receptive to it let's chat again. So I think just maybe bearing that in mind is also useful. So the second tip is about scenario planning with something called if-then thinking. And apparently, I'm never sure if these stats are right, because <laughs> I always feel these percentages are absolutely ridiculous. If-then planners are about 300% more likely than others to reach their goals. But I think if you just assume, it will be more likely to contribute to your success. And essentially what this means is you are, I suppose, doing some hypotheses around what might happen as a result of these conversations so you're I suppose just giving yourself um, an opportunity to think about all of the different scenarios so it's kind of a bit if this then that is the way that I think I would think about it in my head so if when I have this courageous conversation somebody clearly reacts maybe badly you know you're going wow they really don't seem to be on board with this they're maybe very negative or defensive if that happens, then what am I going to do? Actually, am I going to make it a shorter conversation? Because actually, is it something that you need to leave like with someone to kind of think about it a bit more? Are you actually going to, in that scenario, revert to thinking, actually, maybe I'll just ask some questions and just listen to this person's point of view on this topic? Because actually, for me to build empathy with them and then probably to do a good job of the next courageous conversation, you probably need to understand their perspective if it's so different to yours. So you probably need to kind of switch your mode from being maybe on kind of tell to being on receive, as an example. You might then have a different scenario where you go, if the person then says, this is absolutely brilliant, tell me what you think we should do next, which could be an outcome, you know, if people get on board quite quickly knowing what you think those actions might be. So if people respond really positively and then say, right, let's do it, or what do you think we should do next? Or why don't you think we're making as much progress as we should be in this area? Making sure that you've thought through your point of view and your answers that go further than just the, what is the conversation you're trying to have? Because this is something I can definitely imagine doing where 
I'm so focused on the thing that I need to talk about that then I sort of forget about what might come next. <laughs> and this definitely happened to me when I did ask to work part time at Sainsbury's, which um, I did with the accompaniment of a very long PowerPoint slide deck, which I think I decided like this was the business case. I went really formal for some reason, which is actually not usually my style. I think I was so ready to defend it and talk about it that actually when the person I was talking to said really quickly oh yeah you know we don't need to really talk it through I can understand why you want to do this let's talk about kind of how we make this happen and what needs to happen next (laughs) I think I was like I don't know what to do now like I don't know what to say then I felt a bit ridiculous because all I'd planned to do was just talk through this like 50 slide business case on why flexible working and part-time work was a good thing and so I think it diminishes a little bit your credibility and your gravitas in that moment yeah I agree because you've not thought those things through now I probably got away with it because of the person that I was talking to and I think I looked so shocked that she was like okay maybe go away and think about that and I was like okay yeah fine but I think since then I have done a better job of thinking if something is feeling like it's going to be a courageous conversation let's try and imagine the different ways that people might react and also you know you might have a situation where you've got three or four people in a room who all react differently. And that's even more complicated to kind of navigate your way through. You could have some people going, yes, I agree, I'm completely on board, all the way through to some people thinking, I think this is the worst idea I've heard and this would be a disaster. If you get that in a room, if you get mixed opinions, what are you then going to do? Are you then going to move into more of a kind of facilitated conversation? Are you going to suggest that that's what you might then do next? You know, so it's just, I think, thinking some of that stuff through will then just mean you can move on from the initial hard bit into then the what next bit with probably a bit more ease and confidence and don't do what I did, which was sort of get a bit shocked and stop talking. (laughs) But I think it's a very good example of actually how a positive outcome can maybe throw you a little bit off course. So you should even consider, even if it's more positive than you expect, because I think a lot of people always expect it to be more... The worst. The worst thing. Also consider the positive one. So our third tip is about how you can maybe prepare and structure these conversations. And I think this is particularly relevant if you're feeling a bit nervous about it or you think you might go off track or feel like you're going to waffle your way through it because you're a bit nervous. And the structure is called COIN, so C-O-I-N. And it stands for, the C stands for context, the O stands for observation, the I stands for impact and the N stands for next steps. So if I go back to the context mm-hmm. piece. That one is definitely cheating to make sure it spells coin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> next definitely, yeah, next steps. Um, so if we go back to the C then, so that's the context. So if you're preparing for this conversation, and if I was going to talk to Sarah about a change that I really wanted to make and it felt like courageous, then what I want to do is set some context for that conversation. So one of the things that I've observed at the moment is this, or the reason I'm talking today is because of these couple of factors that I've noticed or whatever it is, but you want to set some context and that could be the first part of the conversation. Then you want to go into the observation, which could be data. It could be, it's it's sort of like the this is specifically what I have seen, or these are some data points that support this thinking. So whether it's kind of observations or data, that's what goes in the over observation. The next thing that you would talk through is the impact. So the impact this is having on me, the team, the business, the industry, whatever is relevant, that's when you can then present that piece of information. 
and then you can go on to next steps. So with all of that in mind, what I think the opportunities for us to move forward are X, Y, and Z. Now, what I would say, I think preparing this conversation is different to delivering it. So if I was going to have a courageous conversation with Sarah and for 10 minutes, I just went through context, observation, impact and next steps (laughs) and didn't let Sarah talk. I don't necessarily think that would set me up for success. But what it does do is give you some structure. So I could set the context and talk about, okay, this is what's going on at the moment. This is, um, you know, do you agree with this? Are you noticing anything else? And so I could invite some conversation and then I could say, okay, well, these are some specific data points that I think are really affecting this. And then go, you know, if you've got any more awareness of this, do you believe this? Do you think 300% is a realistic figure? (laughs) Whatever that is. But the point is to prepare in this way. But when you go into the conversation... I mean, it's a conversation, it's not a presentation. So make sure that you're inviting that contribution, but keep the flow in your mind because you can have that conversation, you let it go off and then you can bring it back to the impact or bring it back to next steps, which will help you to have a little bit more control in the moment. Yeah, and I think it will help to anchor where you are in a conversation at any point in time. And do you know what I was thinking? This is really helping me to work out all the things I've done wrong. I think a few times when I'm having courageous conversations, I think of them as presentations, Mm -hmm. not consciously, but I think subconsciously the way I prepare and think about them. I'm actually not thinking about a conversation. I'm thinking about what I want to tell people and what I want them to hear. And I think that's natural. The more courageous it is, often the more kind of nerve wracking it can be to get into a conversation because actually it's something that really matters to you. So it's much easier. And actually, if you talk about avoidance, I actually think presenting is probably quite a good avoidance tactic. I think I might do that one as well. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree because you're not inviting the risk of the conversation. And then maybe when you get it, which is the right thing to get back, but maybe it makes you defensive or fearful. Yeah, agreed. So number four is about finding ways to test your courageous conversation with other people and asking for feedback. I think when you have something that is this tough, and I think courageous conversations are tough, it can be easy to fall into kind of a mode of communicating or being, which we often describe as either victim or villain. You can sort of lose your objectivity, sometimes maybe even your natural style that people recognise from you. And I do think part of this is also back to that point at the very start of the podcast around how much you care about work. Courageous conversations are often about something that you do really care about. You really care about making better. You really care about changing. And I think it's one of those things where sometimes the more that you care, you can often lose your sense of, you know, being able to see the wood from the trees, Mm. being able to have empathy that not everyone might agree with your kind of point of view. And I've certainly found that a few times on... You know, things like flexible working that I am personally very passionate about and very committed to, then actually when I'm talking to other people about it who maybe know less about it or are just less sure whether the business case stacks up, it's really easy to get a bit defensive and to be like, oh, well, I don't understand why you don't get this and feel like they are the villain. You know, we talk about a victim or villain in terms of yourself. I think I also sometimes apply those things to other people and go, well, they're just the bad guys. It's sort of, this is not about me, this is about them. And again, that's definitely going more into kind of victim mode. So I think if you can find kind of friendly colleagues, friends, peers, who you can just test, you don't need to kind of test the exact conversation, but I think testing a bit of your logic, maybe you use that coin framework. I think that you could get some really useful feedback on how to address 
the things that you're you know that you're going to talk about it could be really small things that you don't know you're doing or don't know you're saying even today actually I had um, a brilliant conversation with somebody who has run a business very similar to the agency that I work in and we were talking about some of the challenges and some of the courageous conversations that um, I've definitely had and even talking those through with him it made me realize I would have better courageous conversations as a result of that conversation if that Mm. makes sense so somebody where they are supportive they are trying to help you to kind of be at your best but he offered a few different perspectives on a couple of things where I thought oh yeah that's really insightful and interesting and you understand my world I think it is helpful if people understand your world and they they understand the context you're operating in it just helps I think to give you a bit of confidence but also probably to just refine a little bit catch yourself in case you're doing anything that actually could be quite usually unconsciously but unhelpful and might just get in the way of you having a productive and a constructive courageous conversation versus something that can either dissipate into maybe more of like an argument or you get a bit defensive and all those kind of behaviors that you just know are not actually going to be useful I remember one funny situation. So my husband is really good at giving feedback on stuff like this. You know, he's a trained coach and a really, really great manager. And I remember there was one particular situation that I was, I wanted to play to him a courageous conversation that I wanted to have and get his feedback on it. But the moment that I chose to do this was when we were driving somewhere, but very specifically, we were driving through Milton Keynes, which has a lot of roundabouts. And you have to good old grid system in Milton Keynes. (laughs) And you have to like pay quite a lot of attention because there's just so many roundabouts. And I was trying to say to my husband, who's there's Gareth, like, um, so what do you think I should say about this? And do you think I should do this? And what do you think? And he we had to pull over a little chef because he was like, Helen, if you really want to talk about this now, we cannot do it. Well, I'm driving around 101 roundabouts in Milton Keynes. And so he did. We pulled over a little chef so we could talk about it. So I mean is that basically your definition of true love yeah yeah it was very very helpful and I had the conversation so yeah that works for me so don't just don't don't do it in Milton Keynes Uh, well not necessarily in Milton Keynes but whilst you're driving around roundabouts would be my advice um, and so I'm just imagining last... now what our listeners are thinking if they don't come from the UK and they're like, what is this Milton Keynes oh, place? Yeah, look it up, guys. It's like a, what's it, a man-made town? It's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, got a lot of roundabouts. Um, yeah, there you go. Uh, I won't put a link to that on the post that we put on our no. website. Uh, but the, yeah, our last tip for you is the, just remember that if you don't get the outcome that you want from a courageous conversation, that it doesn't mean that you failed. Because really, this is about the fact that you have gone into that conversation and you've been open to it and you've treated it like a two-way or three-way or four-way dialogue and not a presentation. That is the success. Knowing that you can do that and you can step forward into those conversations is what will give you confidence to do it again. And also sometimes the failure is what makes you resilient and enables you to go back and do it better and differently next time. So whilst having the conversation and getting the outcome you want, like maybe in Sarah's story when she talked about that, whilst that is brilliant, it doesn't mean that if you don't get that outcome that it's a failure because maybe it's a series of conversations or maybe it teaches you something about your approach and you might do it differently next time. So just think about success as being having the courageous conversation and make it distinct from what happens afterwards. And also I think courageous conversations are very rarely black and white, win or lose. And so if you just see a courageous conversation as have you won, it probably 
actually isn't even the right way to frame those kind of conversations or thinking about the success of those conversations because these are usually big things that have lots of different elements to them so it's not really about like winning the courageous conversation or I, I don't that's certainly not the way that I see it but it's probably about have you been able to progress something and progressing something can just be making people aware of it it doesn't always have to be then the exact action in that moment. Um, really big, brave, courageous things do take time. And I think I've learned that particularly over the last couple of years that you know, sometimes you have to be patient and you have to come back and you sometimes have to repeat the same courageous conversation multiple times, sometimes with the same people. <laughs> and if it's something that you really care about, you have to be resilient and keep coming back to that. So um, don't give up, I think, would be my advice on some of those really big courageous things that, that you know matter. And so just to summarise those five top tips for you. Number one, don't underestimate the challenge. Remember to be realistically optimistic. Number two, scenario plan with if-then thinking. Number three, use coin, context, observation, impact, next steps to help you structure your conversations. Number four, test those conversations with others. And number five, critique actions and not people. Remember, courageous conversations are not one-offs and they're not win-lose. And so thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And we really hope that's helped you to have your courageous conversations. If it has inspired you and you do give one a go, please let us know. Let us know how it goes. Just doing it, I think, is a really big deal. You can always just email us at getintouchamazingif.com or you can message us on Instagram, um, whatever works best for you. And we do love hearing those personal examples of where perhaps we've helped or perhaps you've come up with another technique or found something else that's been really helpful that we could then share with our community, which can be anonymous or attributed to you, depending on how you feel about it. And next week, we've got a really special episode that I'm really excited about. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Dame Stephanie Shirley. And so that interview is going to be next week. She's incredible. She, I feel like she should be a household name alongside people like Richard Branson and Lord Sugar, etc. And I'm not sure she is, which is interesting in its own right. But if you haven't heard of her and you're kind of intrigued, look her up on TED. She did a brilliant talk called Why Ambitious Women Have Flat Heads. And if that's not enough to get you interested, I don't know what is. Such a good TED talk. Yeah, and she's also still working in her 80s, absolutely living the squiggly career dream. Absolutely no plans to retire either, which I think is good for everyone, given how brilliant she is. And, you know, came into our podcast studio. um, It was great to meet her. And we'll have copies of her book, Let It Go, which we'll be giving away on Instagram, I'm sure, and across all of our other channels. So a great podcast to listen to from somebody who truly epitomises making work better for everyone and way before her time. So thank you so much for listening and we will be back with you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.